0: Sponsored by Create Curate. Easy to use website templates designed on Squarespace for entertainers. Unlike an old school headshot and resume, a website portfolio will help you create opportunities, build an audience, promote yourself, and grab the attention of casting directors while setting you apart from your competition so you can book more gigs. Every Squarespace website template comes with the Create Curate course that walks you through the entire process of creating your content and curating your website from start to finish. These step-by-step video tutorials, guides, and checklists take away the confusion and the frustration of DIYing your website so you can go from a struggling artist to an in-demand entertainer online. Get 15% off any website template from now through Cyber Monday 2020 with code SWEET15 at createcurate.com. That's 15% off with the code SWEET15 at C-R-E-8, C-U-R-E-8.com. You're listening to Sweet Bites with Sandra with your host, Sandra Colta medici Tune in every Thursday to satisfy your entrepreneurial sweet tooth. Follow on Instagram at Sweet Bites with Sandra podcast and Sandra Colta You can also join our Facebook group at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Sweet Bites with Sandra. So before we get into the show, I did want to mention Audible and I've been doing their free trial and you can too. So just go over to www.audibletrial.com forward slash Sweet with Sandra and check them out. They've got everything. They've got thousands, let me tell you, thousands of titles from Russell Brand's Recovery to Hillary Clinton's What Happened. You will find so much over there. And I want to let you know up front that I am an affiliate, but I do believe in what they are doing. So check them out when you have a chance and let me know what really great, really, really great audiobooks or podcasts or originals that you find over there. Hi, I'm Sandra, and I'd like to invite you to subscribe and listen to my new podcast, Sweet Bites with Sandra. Satisfy your entrepreneurial sweet tooth in each episode full of digital business tips, inspiring interviews, asides from my entertainment career, and rewards to celebrate your sweet success. Find Sweet Bites with Sandra on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Thank you so much for joining me on Sweet Bites with Sandra. My name is Dr. Sandra Colta-Medici, and I'm so excited that you've joined me on episode three. Yes episode three in the house. (laughs) I know, I'm giddy. And that's because I have a special guest with me today on the podcast. Colonel James Minnick is going to be in the house. (laughs) And he has so much to offer as far as his experience in the military and leadership. We are colleagues from our doctoral program at the University of Southern California. So I just want to say a big thank you to all the veterans, all the military families that keep us safe, because he has definitely been around the block. He has been in service for many, many years, and I know that so many of our military have been helping us stay safe abroad and here at home, so thank you so much. So let's get into why this episode is called Lead the Bite, and it is called Lead the Bite because there are a lot of business owners who don't have a lot of leadership experience. They might have an idea, and so they want to put a product together and bring it to market, but they don't have that leadership experience and qualities that will definitely help you move forward. So when I talk about qualities that of leaders, my top five qualities of good leaders would start with confidence, integrity, definitely being decisive, courageous, and open-minded. So let's just break those down a little bit. Okay, so when I talk about confidence, that means if you have an idea and you're bringing it to market, if you don't believe in it, nobody else will. So you have to have that confidence and bring it forward in order for people to want to even listen to you. They have to want to believe in you because they want to see your confidence and they want to feel that energy. So confidence is really key in order to have the real qualities of a leader. Now, a lot of people will say, oh, it can't be taught has to be inside of you and all of that. I believe that there are certain things that you are born with, it's in your DNA. And yes, those things are not taught, but you can better yourself as far as increasing your confidence. So I definitely believe that if you don't have a lot of confidence, you can get confidence and you can increase that over time. And that is by having little wins. You just have little wins and that increases your confidence. The second is integrity. You definitely have to have your backbone, your values, you you know, what guides you. You have to live by that. The third is being decisive. Be decisive with your decisions. Make sure that you have a strong mark when you say, okay, we are doing this and that is it. Don't waffle back and forth. Make up your mind. (laughs) I am a firm believer in making up your mind and don't going back and forth because it's almost, you know, I have two kids. If you have one parent doing one thing and another parent doing another thing, they know they catch on. They catch on. <laughs> so be decisive and stick with what your decision is. Now, obviously, when you're looking at metrics and things like that, you can analyze what your decision was, really take a listen and a look at that, and then make a new decision how to move forward. But don't waffle back and forth so often and so many times that nobody knows what's happening in your business. The fourth one is being courageous. Make sure that you're courageous out there in your life. Make sure that you have courage. Take a leap of faith. On on yourself. This is where that straight talk that I was talking about, about what this podcast is about, be about you and taking a leap of faith on yourself. If you don't do it, like I said before, with your confidence, no one else is going to. Take a leap and do what you love. Do what you love and be courageous enough to put it out there in the world The last one, last trait of leadership that I think is really, really key for good leaders is being open-minded. Don't just think that your idea is the best idea in the room. Be open-minded to hear what other people have to say and then make your decision. It's great to have a great idea. It's really nice to have a great idea, but it's even better when you can incorporate all of the different ideas in the room and make it the best idea that you can put out there to market. So my top five characteristics and traits of good leaders. Number one, confidence. Number two, integrity. Number three, make sure that you're decisive. Number four, courage. Number five, open-minded. Make sure that you're an open-minded leader and those five will take you far. This is the holiday season, and because this is the Thanksgiving episode, I am so excited to bring you Course Sweetener, my online course program that takes your expertise and turns it into your very own online course. So go over to my website, www.sandracoltamedici.com, and take advantage of the 50% off price. Yes, I said it, 50% off from now until December 25th. Yes, Even on Christmas Day, if you are trying to find something for your loved one and you know that they have so much expertise that they just need to turn into an online course, this is the gift for them. Go over to my website, check it out, Course Sweetener, 50% off from now until December 25th. So let's take a call from one of our listeners.
1: Hi, Sandra. My name is Lewis and I am calling from Seattle, Washington. Thank you for taking my question. I wanted to know, as a new business owner, I'm debating if I should be the face of my company or if I should have someone else lead that charge. What do you think? I'm just so busy, I don't know if I can do it all. Thank you.
0: Lewis, that is a great question. So I know that when you look at who should be the face of your product, it really comes down to if you're comfortable being the pitch man. So if you have a product, that is aimed at a certain audience, and maybe you are a little bit older than that audience, you might take a look and say, "Oh, maybe I'm really great at pitching it, but maybe it'd be better if I had a different person as the front man. That's fine, that is totally fine. So if you're not comfortable being the front-facing person for your business, then that's okay. You can always hire an actor, hire somebody who's going to be your voiceover person. You don't always have to be the front facing pitch man for your product. Uh, you can if you want to, and you are certainly allowed to if it's your idea and you want to run with it. You are always open to having record yourself Pitch in your product, record yourself and, and take a look back, share it with friends. Ask them, should I be the front man for my product? And they will tell you straight out, it's your idea, run with it. If, or, or you might be better served if you had somebody else do it. You know, so if you're just starting out, I would say, you know, you're probably the best person to advocate for your business. But if you don't feel comfortable with that, that's certainly okay. Look at the Verizon guy, or the T-Mobile person, or the Geico gecko, <laughs> you know, like, like Geico isn't uh, pitching, you know, the Geico insurance, it's a gecko. So you don't always have to be the front person for your business. If you have a question that you would like answered on Sweet Bites with Sandra, the podcast, feel free to call 401-216-5059, leave a voicemail, and you too could be featured on the podcast. Welcome back to Sweet Bites with Sandra. I'm so excited to be joined by my friend and such an esteemed gentleman coming to us from the lovely state of Hawaii, Colonel James Minnick. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: Oh, I'm so glad that you invited me. This is going to be so much fun.
0: I know, because we go, what, three years back?
1: (laughs) At least that far back.
0: At least. And your career is so long and amazing, and I wanted to have you on just to ask you some questions, because... There are a lot of people who may or may not have been in the military, but there are so many intricacies and details and career strategies that I feel like people could benefit from listening to your story. So if you don't mind, just kind of starting at the beginning, if you will, of your, maybe how you decided that enlisting into the military was something that was right for you, or maybe not, it just happened. I'm not quite sure. What is your story there?
1: Thanks for asking. So when I grew up, and I grew up in a home of, modest means. We weren't poor, but we didn't have extra. And I came from a long family line of fathers, brothers, grandfathers, uncles, who'd all served in the military all the way for, geez, uh, at least back to the Civil War. I knew this. And I also knew that if I was, you know, when I finished high school, I needed to get out on my own. And so my father had talked to me about joining the military. He and his father and his uncles had all been in the Navy. And I kind of thought I might go in that direction. But I was, uh, and, and while I started that in that path, even with uh, Navy junior ROTC in the 70s, I, I was doing that. I eventually found myself in the doors of the Army recruiters and was excited for the things that they uh, spoke to me about. And I had begun a path, even in uh, high school, to go that direction. Mm-hmm. I enlisted in the fall of 1981 and then went to basic training in the summer of 1982. And that began for me what was a 37-year career in the military. Now, it's a long career. Those who serve a career typically go 20 years, usually at the, the length, 30 years. I had the opportunity to, to go longer because I served first number of years as an enlisted soldier before I was commissioned an officer. I did retire as a army colonel who had served at least seven years, I guess, as an army colonel. But when I think back to when this all began, the feelings I had, right? I mean, I felt connected. I felt. Connected to a family line who had done this, but I quickly became, felt connected to teams, the teams that I joined that I would, you know, I served in many teams, small and large over the, over the years, but there was this, this sense of connection, but I was excited too. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was, uh, this was new. I was going into, you know, a world which seemed so much broader than the one I had been in and I'd actually, for a boy growing up in the 60s and the 70s, I actually was in a lot of groups or areas of the country, I would say, that most people might not have been in. I had traveled all around the country. I went to 14 schools growing up, Sandra. I mean, I, my father moved us all the time. This was going to wow. schools, two or three different schools of grade. Fortunately, I guess I was pretty quick on, on education, but, you know, I felt like I had gaps. But now I I was excited. I had volunteered. I was going to go to Korea and off I went. I uh, did that, those things. I saw opportunities. I knew I wanted education, but there was no means in, at home to do this. And, and the Army had offered. And in fact, it's how I continued to progress was those opportunities of, of education. I mean, I began with going to school at nighttime with uh, tuition assistance, earning a bachelor's degree. I became an officer. I, I, I went on and was able to pursue two master's degrees. We did a doctorate at uh, USC, and all of these things were funded through the military. And some of them were were benefits; others were paid opportunities. But it was exciting for me, and bringing it to an end was difficult.
2: Yeah,
0: you mentioned USC. You mentioned master's degree. You me- you forgot Harvard somewhere I did. in
1: there. <laughs> I, did a, I did a master's at uh, at Harvard. You know that reminds me when I think about what somebody wants to do. They want to be, you know, their career and and what choices they may make. I often think don't close your own doors. Mm-hmm. We tend to do that a lot, right? We're like, oh, I couldn't do that. That's well beyond what I might be able to do. And so we just close our own doors. Uh, maybe even worse yet, we just lay our ladders on the ground. We don't even try. And so I didn't, I, I pursued differently. You know, you mentioned uh, Harvard. And when I was, I had started to pursue many years into, into service. Now, this is the, the late 90s. Uh, and I came in, as I told you, early 80s. I wanted to be a foreign area officer, and a colleague of mine, and part of being a foreign area officer is is language training, it's regional training, and it is uh, advanced civil schooling. It is getting a master's degree, and a a colleague of mine had applied for Harvard University, Mm -hmm. and I hadn't even considered, and he had been accepted, and I thought to myself, because I was in in the applying stage, I said, won't know unless I apply, and so I did, and I will tell you that getting selected was the first step. The second step was having them pay for most of it. Cause the army, it was a high cost school. The army was only going to pay for a very small portion. And they actually did. They paid a significant portion of that two year education there in Cambridge. It was wonderful, but thanks yeah. for asking.
2: Yeah. Well, I, I, I can't skip over that because it's such a, a high level achievement beyond obviously your career in the, in the army and the military, 37 years is amazing. Just consistency wise that, you know, some, a lot of people hop from one thing to the next. And, and for a long time, I feel like there were jobs where you would want to stay for a long time. And, and I feel like those kinds of, of positions aren't really around anymore. Um, you know, the ones that have pensions. And I feel like those just don't exist for a lot of young people these days. And so when you talk about the families that are formed and the teams that you build and, and are working with, what are some of the lessons that you feel like you've learned throughout your career? I know you could talk about so much, but <laughs> so just maybe some things that stand out in your mind that, that are things that you learned in your career, as far as lessons that were like that right there, like I needed to, to have that moment in order to get to the next place.
1: You know, I've had a number of those moments. And it's interesting, I was just even recently talking, I've got adult children, one son who's 34, the other one who's 36. And so I'll give you a perspective. And the thing that you just told me, Sandra, is exa- I, exactly what he had mentioned to me is that the opportunities are not the same for my generation as they are in, in his. Now I think that's uh, largely true. I do know that the federal government still has many of these pension programs that are in the armed services, but also in its uh, civil servants. And so, that aside, I guess I would I, I would mention that I have benefited by others who have gone before me, and I've listened to them as they have told me of things that they have done, and I have thought. I hadn't even considered it but because I listened I then thought I could do this. And this starts early. I'd mentioned I went to Officer Canada School OCS and I had and I did that in uh, 1990 but in the mid later 80s I had applied to be a warrant officer a technical type of officer and I thought for sure I was going to be accepted. And so did others came back rejected. Now I could have been discouraged
0: mm-hmm. and
1: said you know this is where I'm at I'm at this level this is what I'm I had a friend of mine who had applied for Officer Canada School, and he knew I was seeking to continue to advance. And I think we all ought to, in degrees, work toward potentials. Mm-hmm. And because he had told me about that, I then went down that path. I told you I had another colleague who had applied for Harvard. And because he did that, I said, I can do that. I had a colleague who was a graduate of, of the USC program and said, you know, let me tell you. And as a result of that, I was quite interested. And I said, you know, I think I'd like to pursue that path. Constantly, I have been the beneficiary of somebody who had been before me, Mm -hmm. somebody who had shown me the path,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and that mattered. And so, I think that is at least one lesson I would take from a long career.
2: I have to talk about you being a Korean linguist.
1: Mm. Now,
2: I didn't know this when we were in our doctorate program together, and I feel like it's just enlightening to know just those little tidbits about people that you know just you find out later. But you you don't boast, you don't brag, you don't say, hey, no, I'm doing that for you because you don't do it. <laughs> but I feel like there's there's something about going after for you, it was it was definitely beneficial for your career to have that added skill, right? So what is something when you're thinking about, you know, the inspiration for taking up another language? to have that added, you know, thing on your resume, what inspired you to, to do that? And where do you think some of the tools that people need these days that they should be adding to their to their resume?
1: Yeah, thank you for that. I had mentioned I was a foreign area officer and, and there are several aspects to being a foreign area officer where you would do military policy in different regions of, of the world. And so as a result of choosing that path, and I chose that path because I was interested. I had served many years overseas. I, I, I enjoyed the engagement with foreign militaries. And I knew that there were prospects for studying a language and mm-hmm. for obtaining a master's degree and continuing service overseas. I actually have 19 years of service overseas assignments. and so That's quite a significant amount of years in, in the military. And I told you on my first assignment, I had chose to go to Korea. My father had served in the Navy in the late 50s in Japan, and I was excited to go to that part of the region. The world was seemed much smaller, much larger back then, and you I know, hadn't traveled on an airplane until, the, anyhow. So I was excited for this. Korean language is difficult for, for English speakers. We categorize the different languages of the world, and for English speakers, it's in a category four, which, which is in the category one through four. It's the highest uh, category. So it's tough. Mm-hmm. which means it actually took real effort, real schooling to and, and focusing on that. Now, I mm-hmm. had tested it at the top of my levels, on the top of the levels of those uh, at different times. So I did well, mm-hmm. but not because it wasn't without effort. And I, I think I learned this when I was, I learned a lot of things, I guess. But one thing I had to get over, and that was I knew I would not be as articulate learning And speaking Korean as I was perhaps in in English. Mm -hmm. And so that can be a bit of an inhibitor. You know, we can feel prideful and we we don't want to feel vulnerable at all. And so rather than speaking at all, well, we we won't say anything. But that delimits our opportunities if we shut ourselves down. And and so that certainly applied in learning Korean and 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 working in a lot of different jobs that I I, I did. I was a foreign area officer for 20 years, tactical field artillery officer the 17 years before that. But I think that same type of lesson is applicable beyond just learning a language, right? As an officer, I constantly was moving into uh, jobs that where I ha- was, was would lead organizations and didn't necessarily have direct expertise in those areas. And so I would often, I mean, I made it a practice to talk with people, to talk with people in the organization about how do you do this and show me this and and have them introduce me to these things. And they people are always fascinated to tell you about what they do. I was learning at the same time, certainly didn't put off any air of hubris that, you know, I'm in charge, you know, none of that. That's not the way I, I would lead anyhow. And I credit that to a lot of good mentors I've had over the years that I've tried to emulate. But I have found that if you extend yourself and reach out and are not delimited by feelings of being embarrassed or prideful, Mm -hmm. you could achieve a lot.
2: Yeah. Well, you mentioned mentors. Who's one of your mentors and how did that relationship form?
1: I think my, my deepest, my strongest mentor is Colonel Mike McKeeman. He retired a number of years ago. I first worked for him as a young officer. He was my boss. He certainly gave me jobs. I, I would say he took me under his wing, but I don't know that it was any more so than any other officer he did. But then I worked for him later on as, as well for a number of years. To give you a degree of, we've kept in contact, but he flew all the way out here to Hawaii for my, my retirement. Retirement, yeah. yeah. so that was a big <laughs> deal. So, so, so that degree of mentor, that mentorship that went over nearly 30 years. And, but he, he was a caring leader he really was he pursued excellence and i learned from watching him how to be that type of a of a leader who genuinely cared about others and as a result i think it has made me more approachable i feel like you know i'm friendly i feel like it is it has become more and more of who i am to be that type of a person i try to continue to emulate those characteristics but that who i've become in my teachings as a professor, but, I, but I, I would say that leadership really is probably boiled down to character and competence, and character matters immensely. Mm-hmm. But people will also trust you if you are competent in what, uh, mm-hmm. in what you do. Those things have been important. I've certainly learned from a lot of mentors over the years, mm-hmm. learned a number of things, but Mike McKeeman, Colonel Mike McKeeman, is, is prominent in, in my ladder of uh, mentoring.
0: Awesome. I know that, that you have some research that I wanted to talk about mm. because this took a better part of your life for the last, I don't know how many years. So let's talk about some of the things that you've been doing and working on most recently. If you didn't know his background already with all of his military experience and degrees, degrees upon degrees. So let's talk about your most recent degree, the Doctor of Education from University of Southern California in Organizational Change and Leadership, where you studied. I want you to just introduce it because you talk about it so it's effortless when it comes out of you versus me. So what was the title of your dissertation?
1: So thank you for asking that. It's really a passion of mine. Societal violence against women and national insecurity. I looked at, uh, you know, evaluation study on teaching a gendered security perspective. Mm -hmm. That's a mouthful, right? I mean, it really is. But what does it all mean? And this also, you may ask, you know, what is, well, I'll tell you what it means. Then you ask why, why with my background, it was I interested in this area here. But when I think of gendered security, I look at this as as an approach or Mm -hmm. a methodology that does really three things. It strengthens the solutions to state and human security issues. So big state security issues, sovereignty and these things, human security issues that deal with real plights of people. And I see this as strengthens both of those.
2: Mm -hmm. I see that
1: it frames the individual as the security focus. We often see and focus the state and state interests and, and sovereignty issues. And and we forget for whom we're providing security. I've seen this through nearly four decades of service. And it accounts for those gender-based needs and interests mm-hmm. in all security uh, uh, situations. And so that is, when I talk about gender security, that's what I'm talking about. And so at the institution where I work, the Asia-Pacific Center for Security Studies, we have security studies professors who teach security practitioners that come throughout the Indo-Pacific region. These are mid and senior career person who come to the center for several weeks to learn and be better security practitioners. And I, my hypothesis is really that if security practitioners understood and applied the principles of gendered security in their craft as they provided for the peace and security and in the, in what they're charged with, we would end up with a much better security than what we have. And as I have seen over all these years, I've thought that we would have done so much better in advancing security in these different countries, whether it was Iraq or Afghanistan or Vietnam or the small ones in between. Or Had we thought about who we were providing security for, that we saw people as the priority. I'll tell you that I have found that security practitioners often see them as a problem. They're in the way. We forget that these are for whom we're providing security for. And so that's what this approach looks at. And so I wanted to know, if we believe that it's important to teach, why is it that we're not actually teaching it very well? And so I looked at that and understood the the knowledge issues and motivational issues and organizational issues and thought, if we approach this now differently, we might do better. When I retired... I stayed at the same institution. I was associate dean there before I retired. But after retiring, I became, became a professor and I took on uh, the chair of two groups, one of them Northeast Asia, and then this one on women, peace, and security. And so I started implementing these things that I had researched and, and found out about through this and, and realized we could do this so much better. Now, I could certainly talk about issues of gender security. I, I did uh, recently, in a recent publication, I wrote a book chapter on this title, on this issue, societal violence against women, a need for uh, a need for gendered security, and and so where I lay all this out. So that's that's how much I've uh, you know really driven by this is uh, continue to pursue it even after the degree,
2: which is great because there's so many people who kind of say, okay, here it is and it's done and you know to the side. It's great to see that. The results of of your work actually matter in a way that's tangible for people to kind of say, okay, well now how do I get my hands on this new, I guess it it may or may not be new, It's, it's just a revelation of what has been happening to what the security studies have been before and now how you're trying to implement how to make them better with how you're presenting the material or, you know, using your professorship to have lectures about them or even the book chapter to spread the word, you know, and get it far and wide. I know that you are going to stick with us. There's so much more. So if you are listening to the podcast and you are ready for some fun tidbits, make sure you hop over to Extra Bite for a little bit more with Colonel James Minnick. And thank you so much for joining me today on Sweet Bites with Sandra. I so appreciate you.
1: (laughs) Oh, you take care.
0: So I wanted to tell a story about my childhood acting days. I was about nine years old, and it was a movie in 19, I think it was 86, and it was called Johnny Mae Gibson, FBI. It was a CBS TV movie, and it was directed by Bill Duke, and it starred Lynn Whitfield, and I played a young Johnny Mae Gibson. And from what I remember, I was running through the mud from a house. It was like torrential rain at the time in the Bay Area. And, you know, I was running from mud into a yard. And then I had to I think I had like one line. But it was pretty significant because Bill Duke is a huge director. He's directed A Rage in Harlem, Sister Act Two, Back in the Habit. He's starred in a lot of different TV shows and films. And also Lynn Whitfield. Hello. (laughs) Amazing actress. So at the time I was a kid, though, you know, you show up at the audition and you're one of, you know, a bazillion little African-American girls with hair and pigtails. And I was lucky enough to be picked for that particular job. And at the time I had no idea though, like I said, like you just never know. But when you get to reflect on something like that, that's really important to go back and look at what, what important things were gained out of certain experiences. And for that, I really understood, you know, what it was like to to make a movie. And I know that there are a lot of people who go through business and in life and just don't know how impactful some of what they've done has been on other people. And for me, Bill Duke and Lynn Whitfield, like I was not playing opposite Lynn Whitfield, but I look back and I watch and I thought Wow, she is amazing. And how cool was it to be in that made-for-TV movie about a real person? Johnny Mae Gibson, a real person, real FBI agent, has done some amazing work. So if you have a chance, I would definitely check out that film, but also reflect on some of the things that you've done in life. This episode is called Lead the Bite, and I often reflect on some of the things and some of my experiences that I've had a chance to be a part of because you don't know when you're going through certain things what you're actually going through or what can come of those things too. You learn some of the great things that can come of those things after the fact in your reflection. And I just want to take a moment to say, Reflect on your life. Reflect on some of those amazing moments, whether it's birthdays or holidays or work anniversaries or just really great travel experiences so that you can really understand where you've been and where you're where you've gone, where you've how you've come out of certain things on the other side, bigger and brighter, because the reflection is as important. I would say the reflection is as important as the actual experience. Are you looking for a webinar platform that really has your back? For me, I do a lot of webinars and I do a lot of lecturing and speaking and and I really feel like I need something that's simple. I don't need something that's complicated. I want something that's able to take my message, distribute it, have a live option, but also be able to automate. For me, Webinar Ninja does the trick. And I definitely highly recommend it for you too. So if you're looking for a webinar platform, check out Webinar Ninja on my software solutions page. Just go to www.sandracoltonmedici.com forward slash software solutions. So let's talk about Extra Bite because this week, I am so excited because we have a first listen on the podcast. <laughs> so Extra bite. I, I generally feature a new music artist or an artist that I'm listening to and I just want to put you on too. So this artist, her name is Skylar Stecker, and I actually was introduced to her through a makeup artist named Phoebe Dawson that I interviewed recently with a friend of mine for a different podcast. And she was gracious enough to, to connect us, and I had a chance to interview her for Extra Byte but I wanted to play a little bit of that interview on the podcast. Why you make it so hard to figure you out, figure you out, I swear. She is amazing. So I can't wait for you to listen to the full interview. So head on over to Extra Bite at www.sandracoltamedici.com forward slash blog and you'll see the full interview there as well as this episode. I'm so excited because last time it was my daughter and myself in the kitchen baking and this week My husband is going to help me with a family recipe. I am African American and Caucasian. My mom is Norwegian, and my grandmother is turning 90 years old. And we are going to be making kringla, which is a Norwegian cookie. And so I just want you to partake. If you are, if you've never made these before, this is this is work, but it's so good. It is so good. (laughs) And I love eating kringla every holiday. So I hope. that you join me on extra bite to learn how to make kringla and also enter to win because there's always a sweet reward on extra bite so you'll enter to win a 25 five dollar gift certificate to my favorite (laughs) amazon.com because it's the holiday and why not so thank you so much for joining me on sweet bites with sandra the podcast and feel free to send me a note and let me know what topics you want covered on the podcast I want to wish you a very, very happy Thanksgiving from my family to yours. Tune in every Thursday to satisfy your entrepreneurial sweet tooth with me, Sandra Colton Medici, on Sweet Bites with Sandra. Follow on Instagram at Sweet Bites with Sandra Podcast. You can also follow my personal profile at Dr. Sandra Colton Medici. And please join our group on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Sweet Bites with Sandra. And all the time, Bites is spelled B-Y-T-E-S. If you would like to sponsor an episode of Sweet Bites with Sandra, make sure to send an email to info at Include in the subject line, Be a Sponsor.